0: Sure.
1: <laughs> I need my panel to please be seated. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining us for community gardens' impact on food security and food. Um, this is a great crowd for four fifteen in the afternoon on a Saturday. <laughs> Give yourself a hand. Thank you. Um, we're really excited about this. This has been something um, in Missouri, we've been working on, on uh, gardening and using that as an educational tool for many years. And really in the last, uh, since the pandemic, this has really become even more important to us. So uh, I will introduce our panel. Um, I'm Joe bert Rankin, extension professor and SNAP-Ed FNAP administrative director. And I have uh, been in Missouri for many years uh, working with those two programs. On my right, I have Tracy Menace. Tracy has been with our program for over 16 years. Um, She was a nutrition educator in the northwest part of the state for a number of years. And then she has now moved into our farm to institution coordinator and leads our crunch off. We're really excited. Is there anybody from Nebraska in this room? Oh, we're competing we'll with Nebraska. That's right. we losing this year. <laughs> We've lost six years, in, Nebraska's won our crunch off for six years. So, next we have Larry Roberts. Larry has been with our program 23 years, and he is our state garden coordinator. He also started um, in the south central part of the state as a nutrition educator and he has just been so helpful for many years with being now the statewide garden coordinator, and we appreciate everything that he does. And I don't know that Leslie Speller Henderson needs a an, a, a, a an introduction.
0: You don't say any numbers. You've said numbers about years. Don't do that. <laughs> well, you know, I was I
1: said over twenty. How's that? Okay. Over twenty. Well, um, uh, Leslie is an ex. Associate Extension Professor and our SNAP-Ed and FNEP Program Director. She is also the Educational Director for Health and Human Sciences Extension at Missouri. So this is kind of our team. Our team is much bigger when we get back to the state. But we wanted to share a little bit, take a little bit of your afternoon um, and share why community gardens. And you know for us, community gardens, we've done this for a long time. As I said, pre-pandemic, we had over 900 gardens across the state. And um, we see these as a, a great learning uh, laboratory and educational vehicle. And I just love the little guy on the right of the slide there. Who, who wouldn't want to work with that young man? Um, he was so proud of his, the carrots he had grown. We see these kids, and we do adult gardening too. Um, but really thinking about this is, we see this as a number of things. You know, we started with it as a learning lab, and really how you can teach young people and adults how they can grow their food. Um, I said it's like the adage, um, you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for, you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach him how to fish, he'll he'll eat his lifetime. He'll be able to feed himself. And I, we see that the same with gardens and so we've really used this premise for many years Um, we're very excited because what we saw during the pandemic was our state partners we had school districts reaching out to us of what could they do how could we work together to really address some of the supply chain issues the food insecurity that we were seeing in our state and so in in attempts to help them we really began to refocus on community gardens not just as an educational vehicle but now as a nutrition security vehicle and so throughout our presentation we kind of want to talk about what we saw as the most important things uh, as we go went along and the first thing was recruiting and retaining partners and I'm going to ask Tracy to kind of kick us off with this discussion. And Tracy, you were, you were in the field for many years as a, a nutrition educator. And what would you say really we need to think about as we're trying to recruit and retain our community partners as they look to start gardens? What do we need to talk with our partners about?
2: Well, I think the key word there is Community. Um, Just bring as many people to the table as you can. In fact, um, there's kind of a formula. If it's an actual community garden that you're gonna start in a neighborhood, you need to look at about a three block, block radius of where you're wanting to start this community garden and they recommend you knock on every door, every residency, every business, every agency, every church, everybody. You tell them what your vision is and just start with the discussion and then bring as many of those that are interested to a meeting um, to um, start that. Because if if you wanna start a sustainable garden, you've got to bring as many partners to the table. They recommend at least 10 active partners um, when you're starting a community garden. And it's no different for a school garden. I mean, you've got to find within your school, your community that's gonna be there because it's a lot of work. Gardens are a lot of work. And so you've gotta have people that are gonna be committed to keeping it going um and I don't know no I think that's, that's worked
1: for us yeah yeah can you tell us you have worked with we have a, a colleague by the name of Bill McCalvey. he works in rural sociology community food systems and talk a little bit about our community garden toolkit it's a fabulous resource
2: I think um Joe's got the link up mm-hmm. there on the slide I would recommend you like snapping a picture of it and checking it out um, it's basically a blueprint, if you're, and it even gives a little bit of history on um, where community gardens originated and how to structure one, so it is a sustainable garden that's going to be there for years to come.
1: You know, I think one of the keys that we have learned over the years is in community gardens, school gardens, we have to be partners. We're not the managers. We had a the community foods pro- program session earlier, really kind of talked about this. How do we become partners in the community, and that it, it's not our garden. It's the community's garden. And Larry or Tracy, would one of you want to talk about how we bring those partners together?
2: Your turn, Larry.
3: <laughs> well, when you're when you're starting out with your partners, is finding out. A lot of times you have folks that want a community garden, but they kind of put the cart in front of the horse, and they they start talking about how many gardens and and what all we can plant. And first we need to find out who wants to be involved, and that's the very first thing. So so you obviously you're you're going to partnership with. Who wants the garden? For instance, in Warsaw, Missouri, we have a, uh, a senior center that feeds seniors, and they wanted a garden. And uh, so we got them on board. Uh, then we got the local extension office on board, um, and then we decided, you know, who's going to work in these gardens? Well, there was senior housing right down, you know, less than a block away from the garden site. So then we got a representative from the senior housing. To come in and, and get involved so it's like tracy was saying you you have to kind of look around at, at who's going to be there and you have to get them at the table first before you start talking about how many beds and and what you're going to produce and, and all that because you, you can fall into a kind of a, a trap there where you get all excited get everything up and running and then you find out there's nobody truly interested in working in it uh so i mean you just have to reach out uh and look at your area and reach out at those folks that you think is going to be working in that garden and approach them first.
2: Um, Once you bring, uh, like you said, once you get your group of people together, it's also very important that everybody share what their vision is because a community garden can be so many different things. A lot of times it might be a green space with a garden off to the side. Um, you might want to set it up kind of like in a rental situation where you have garden beds and a family can rent the garden for 20 dollars a year or it might be you might have a vision for a communal garden what are you going to do with the produce i mean there's a whole bunch of questions that need to be addressed do you have a water source are you going to need electricity Um, are you going to need the tools are you going to do raised beds are you going to do in-ground gardens there's just a lot of things you've got to logistics you got to figure out before you even start the garden i mean there's a lot of planning
1: and i think one of the things that's most important is funding you know um we'll talk a little bit about some funding that we had that we received from our department of social services through their community block grants and we could provide infrastructure last in 22 and now and again in 23 but one of the things we've found is, we're looking for gardens who are committed, that they're not just looking for, to us as the main funder. Um, I always like, we've said, you know, if you have interest in having a garden, write down the supplies that you need, because every garden's different. And I always like the ones, I get a few that say, I need everything possible to start a garden. I'm like, okay, we probably have it, we need to back up a step, you know, go back through the thing. But talk about some of the um, creative funding mechanisms we found or donations. Yeah.
3: But that's the big thing. As soon as you know where your location might be, then you start doing a little research. Uh, Most towns, uh, no matter what size they are, if they have a a like maintenance crew or something like that, there's a mulch pile somewhere you know, a tree falls over the city street, they're gonna chop it up and run it through a grinder. They take that somewhere. There's a, there's a city plot somewhere. As your city gets bigger, uh, there's compost piles. Uh, we're very fortunate because uh, we utilize the Missouri State Fairgrounds. All states, as far as I know, still has a state fairgrounds. Uh, and if your state fairgrounds show animals, uh, guys, there's a compost pile somewhere and I'm telling you, the compost pile at the Missouri State Fair is probably the size of this room times three, and it is free. Not only is it free, they'll load it for you. They want it out of there, okay? Uh, and the backside of that compost pile is over five years old, so it's great compost coming out. So you can look at fairgrounds. Uh, we get resources from, like I said, city, cities. Um, If you need soil, uh, guys, this is going to sound kind of gross, but uh, if you go to cemeteries and talk to the director of the cemetery, when they take all that dirt out, all that dirt doesn't go back in. It's got to be hauled off and dumped somewhere. Uh, So there's a lot of resources. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, expiration dates, are on seed packets now. A seed packet, according to the expiration dates, only good for a year. Okay, so your local hardware stores, uh, your local Walmart, your local retail stores that sell seeds, most of these seeds get inventoried, packed up, and burnt They get destroyed because they have an expiration date on it. Can't sell them in the United States in a bad expiration date. Uh, so we get a lot of donations. Uh, In our area, Orslands, True Value stores, places like that give us a very large seed donation. And seeds do not expire, guys. A seed can be 10 to 15 years old and only lose five to 10% of its germination. Well, if you think about it, you're planting a community garden, you plant 100 seeds and 80 of them come up. That's a good garden. Now, if I'm a tomato farmer and I plant you know, 1,000 seeds and only 800 come up, that's not so good. But I'm not trying to be a commercial farmer. I'm growing a community garden. Uh, So don't worry about those expirations. So we find a lot of donations, uh, pellets, uh, that goods come on at stores. We break them down and turn them into, use the wood for the gardens. Uh, So there's a lot of places that will donate things. Uh, My weirdest, One would be a library donated over a hundred of those plastic sleeves that you put magazines in, and we turned them all into gardens. Uh, So we bolted them together and put drain holes in them and filled them full of soil and had garden beds made out of uh, magazine holders. So the, the stuff's out there. And we found that you get a lot better donations asking for things then you do asking for cash. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got, Tracy just got what, over $900? dollars oh, you like less. $3,600 worth Th- of
2: seeds. She got $3,600, yeah.
3: She got $3,600 worth of seeds donated from True Value. Now, if she'd have walked in that store and asked for $3,600, yeah, they probably wouldn't even have had a conversation with her. She went and asked for the old seeds, and they loaded them for her. Okay, so, yeah.
2: The funny thing is I asked last year and they gave me last year's seeds and then I didn't even ask her this year and she texted me and said, I've got some seeds for you. like, okay. (laughs) Go by there. And it's a shopping cart full of seeds. I mean, everything you could imagine. It was amazing. And they would have just pitched them. So it's just, you just ask. That's the main thing.
1: Yeah. You can create a lot of seed libraries, you know, sharing among your partners. Um, So we we really encourage this. Uh, Up on the the uh, slides, you're going to see these are some of our community groups. Um, And they're they're different ones. You can see the middle one there is at a a food pantry, and that's in Northeast Missouri. Actually, I realized these are all Northeast Missouri. I shouldn't give my secrets away. Um, You're going to see some pictures of the group on the far right. Uh, This is a group that just started this year and really has brought out all kinds of unique partners, including the chamber, Um, obvious extension was there, Uh, even the historical society, and we'll have a picture later of how the historical society came to be involved in this particular, um, but really good examples. Um, In the picture on the left, um, that is a community where they were starting raised beds at various in-town community health department, a school. There was four or five locations in a smaller town. It Macon may have maybe 5,000 people. So a number of sites had picked up on raised bed. This is actually at um, a methanol or ethanol plant. And out in front of their plant, they had a lot of green space. And it was right along the highway. Now, the one drawback we find is sometimes you have partners that, they're a few miles out of town, so transportation could be an issue, but they said if you will encourage people, we will have plots for the community members that they can, and they actually didn't charge them for the plots. They were doing it as a give back to the community. So, these are, you know, some unique partners that we've found. So, talking about engaging them. How do we actively engage them you know what and I think we started to kind of allude to this but talk about how you facilitate the discussion and it could be what are we going to grow I'll give you an example of on our campus this is not the way to do it on our campus some of our student centers decided they were going to put in some raised bed gardens and they didn't involve the students the students who were to get the produce were never talked to about what do we want to grow in these it was all the staff made the decisions and um, we had a staff member that came and they had a, a day to harvest right at the end of the semester they went to harvest all the produce and nobody would harvest the radishes students didn't like radishes they come, they have a huge container at the end of the day, and they're like, we don't know what to do with these. So you have to really engage. That was just a good example of where we didn't engage our partners, and that's a community. But thinking about um, our community partners, um, Leslie, actually, is there anything else you want to add about, You, you were more involved with the campus, what would you see from that example that maybe wasn't ideal? Or maybe there was some ideal pieces. So
0: I'm a rock star. I need a microphone, please. (laughs) So I want to say extension and all of us who speak, always use a microphone. Don't make yourself wear your voice out when you talk. We are rock stars. We have experience. We have knowledge. Use a microphone. I don't know if anyone's ever been put in a gym to talk. A gym has no acoustics. And we try and holler over the acoustics, right? Ask your partners for their microphone if they use a PA system. It's okay. It's okay. But what's interesting about um, being a community partner at the university, and, they, and, and we want to help our students because they're not eating well and don't know what they're doing, and we can help them, and we want to do a community garden. And we're having a community garden day, and I'll get the note on Thursday to be there Saturday from 10 to 2. So are y'all working on Saturday, and are y'all happy about it? <laughs> yes so you can imagine me calling my educators and saying are you available they have a community garden and then it's like leslie can you come saturday from 10 to 2 do i want to give my so, so it's that kind of thing so it's always so i've always I keep on saying let me know in enough time i want to come and i want to partner with you you invite me to breakfast and i come so i can be there and you see me and know what's going on then you have activities and i get an invitation on wednesday before the saturday or thursday before the Saturday. And as much as I talk about our programming, I'm not the program, right? I'm at the top of the program, but I want to push my people up. Because I, I wouldn't have this job without my people doing what they do in the community. So I want to involve my people who are in the space. And it's hard to do. And it's hard for me to say, I'm the boss. I need you there on Saturday because they invited you. But, but invite us, right? So we're not community partners, and what are we doing? so? Also, I would bring my dirt manager to talk about how to fill a raised bed that's the side of a feeding trough. And, and they're that big at the, senior, at the community center. No, at the student center. How to do that. Do you all know how to do that? Is it, all, is it all full of soil? I mean, we do get free stuff, which is across, what, two hours from where the university is? There's ways to fill it. And so that is where a community garden becomes more than a community garden for me. It becomes a laboratory where we teach people about growing food. Because y'all realize it's a lost art, right? How to do it, and it starts with planting it before you want to grow it. The radishes were beautiful. They were huge. I'll just leave it at that. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> yes. but, well,
3: well, she's talking about filling. We, do, we have ADA gardens. They take a lot to fill them. Okay? One of the main things I fill them with is those water bottles you have sitting in front of you—we fill our gardens with empty water bottles. That's our first go-to thing, um, and we'll fill it a quarter to halfway full of water bottles. Uh, for one thing, they're light; they're easy to get a hold of, uh, and roots like them because it makes air spaces, just like putting rocks in a, a flower pot at home. Uh, so, while well, she's on that subject, so and as far as the radishes, how many of you here's ever had stir-fried radishes? I highly recommend you go home if you haven't had one and chop up some radishes and stir fry them with just a little bit of olive oil and some fresh herbs and you will find out they don't even taste like radishes anymore because when you heat them it changes the flavor profile in it and you won't even notice it won't have that radish bite to it and uh, we do a lot of sampling with radishes to kids and they love them.
0: So, okay, so, yeah, 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 and so the reason we use radishes, you know, the, the germination time of a radish, twenty days, Base laboratory. Kids can see it from start to from, from seed to finish, and so that's 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 why we have a lot of radishes. <laughs> yeah. so, as we
1: think about this, how do we work with communities? How have you guys worked with communities to think about? Okay, we're going to grow the vegetables, and we're going to show these kids or even adults, wh- you know, where these, their food is coming from, um, how to grow them. We're doing tomatoes. We're doing produce. How do we decide who gets the produce? Where is that produce going? What's the discussions like in your local community?
2: It depends on the garden and who comes to the table because they all have different visions. Um, One garden that I have in mind that is one that I've been with from the very beginning, we started with um, mineral tubs. I don't know if you all are familiar with like cattle production, but they have these mineral tubs that cattle lick the minerals out of, and they make really nice flower pots. So if you know a local producer that has a lot of cattle, ask them what they do with their mineral tubs, most of the time they're more than happy to give them to you. And they're perfect for starting gardens at schools um, because they're kid size. I mean, they're small, you do radishes, they look like a chia pet when they're full, you know? And so we started with mineral or mineral tub gardens. We had like four and then the principal got on board and she was all excited and showed a grant and we put in some raised bed gardens and our garden grew, we had some tomatoes, had some peppers. They had a lot of tomatoes and peppers through the summer, so they brought, um, just put on Facebook that they had this produce come by the school and pick it. And so they had, you know, community members. This is a very small town. It's a pre-K through eighth grade um, rural school. And um, there are no grocery stores. There's no stores, period, other than, you know, the ag, MFA, that's it. Um, And so the the produce was um, sent out to the community and then Um, thanks to our garden um, block grant uh, we were able to put in a larger garden and now it's grown into um, this huge in-ground garden where they've got a huge pumpkin patch they've got some watermelon and of course green beans and sweet corn all the good stuff and um, and it's the interesting thing is we've went through, um, I've had three different principals that I've worked with at this space as well. So um, of course it's great to have an administrator on board when you're at a, um, that situation. One thing I forgot to mention was when we had the raised bed gardens, a lot of, the, we did a lot of snack tomatoes because the kids really like the snack tomatoes. And they serve those in the cafeteria. I mean, they're not hard to to clean and put in a bowl. and and serve um, so they worked really well but um, the community garden that they have now the larger one um, they've brought in some families that live close to the school and they have kind of like a community garden day the library is also open one day a week through the summer and they work in the garden those days they water they weed they do whatever they need um, we do have an administrator as well as a staff a teacher on board and um, the custodian so that's kind of our Basically, everybody that we brought to the table, and it's just going all the produce is going to the community. I mean, they pick it, they put it in a shady spot, they post it, come get it, and that way we've got fresh produce. Um, it's accessible to everybody in the community that way because there's a lot of, you know, um, elderly people in the community, so this gives them an opportunity, you know, to not have to drive 15 miles to a grocery store to get their produce. So it's worked out really well. What a snack tomato? Oh, so that's like so a grape you know or a is cherry. Tomato is, yeah, yeah. No, no. Like, like a grape cherry. Che- yeah, like yeah. a grape or a cherry tomato. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: That you snack on? Yeah. 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 Grape, yeah. 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 I was sitting there thinking,
3: does everybody know what a snack tomato? Is? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have <laughs> called it a snack tomato. We <laughs> we pretty much got every scenario you can think of where the produce goes. Uh, we have schools that's taking the produce into uh, their cafeterias. Uh, we have gardens where actually the people work the gardens just enjoy doing it so they make a donation to the local food pantry in the garden's name and it goes out to the food pantry we actually have gardens at food pantries where the produce goes back into the food pantry uh, we have a school in climax springs missouri the school is 300 students k through 12. okay now you think about it you know in missouri the school is funded by bonds and how much the community takes in a school of 300 is not taking in a lot of money uh, so pretty much the teachers are also our clients as far as the snap program um, and they actually keep the garden going in the summertime uh, we do adult classes in the summertime at that school uh, using the same gardens that the we taught the kids in so during the school year the produce goes into the cafeteria and during summertime we teach with the adults the teachers janitors maintenance folks bus drivers and they all come out to the gardens in the afternoons and they we give an adult class and they take the produce home with them uh, so about every scenario you can think of uh, one big hurdle we had to get over is Have you ever heard a school tell you they can't use produce out of a garden because it's not USDA inspected? How many people have ever heard that before? Okay, guys, we've worked with the USDA and the state health department in the state of Missouri. When you go to buy your head of lettuce or your tomatoes, I don't care what grocery store you're at, they are not USDA inspected. Okay, the USDA does not inspect food until the manufacturer starts to wash it, chop it, and package it. No food going into that school. If they're buying a case of tomatoes, it has not been USDA inspected, and it doesn't need to be. It just needs to be properly washed like the health department wants you to. So schools in any state in the United States, uh, unless they have their own state health department regulation, There is no usda regulation saying that fresh produce can't go into a school and be used so
1: yeah and and i know larry this was pre-pandemic but we actually had one school that larry worked with that they wanted their it was another small rural school but they wanted to create their own farmers market for the parents that were in that school district and they wanted to take it a step farther they wanted to be able to accept snap and so Larry worked really closely we, with Department of Social Services on how do they how do they get an EBT card reader? Um, how can they? And they thought through this because they decided the farmers market component of the garden would be open during school pickup hours, so st- parents didn't have to come back as they were picking up their kids. They could pick up their produce. And head on out so there's lots of things but it takes that community buy-in it's not for us to go in and say how will that do that but we're really seeing how we are addressing you know nutrition security Um, you know people are thinking through business youth then have the opportunity because many in that particular school the kids have the opportunity to actually work that farmers market so it's giving them and Tracy, you're in a new role now. You're in the farm-to-institution world. How do you see gardens being able to help with farm-to-institution or farm-to-childhood, early childhood, child nutrition? It's now going.
2: It's the perfect place to start. If you have a school that's interested in starting um, farm-to-school efforts, gardens is the best place to start. Start simple um, because it's it's a management you've got to figure out how to manage it and so that's just a great place to start and it's also a great place to expose the kids to where their food comes from they get in it's you can teach classes at those gardens as well Um, and so that's pretty much where I see yeah
1: Yeah. and I I switch the slide here to some of our our gardens where we're really engaging and thinking about the planning Um, as you can see obviously the first group has already done their planning their planting um, one of the things i think that has also helped us is because if you're doing educational gardening you have a window um, it's a short growing season we have actually partnered with several ffa chapters um, we now have a greenhouse on one of the uh, research farms on campus but we've found ffa chapters around the state that Larry takes those seeds that we talked about a seed donation we probably give them 1,000 to 1,500 seeds, asking for 500 plants. So it's giving high school students the opportunity to get in those greenhouses. They're already doing a greenhouse class, but now it becomes how they can take the seeds that we donate to them, they can grow those plants, we get 500 of them, they have somewhere between 500 and 1,000 plants, that then if they do a local plant sale, they may put it into another community garden. But I love these pictures because um, these are pictures of how gardens are being plotted out. And you can see the different plots there. Um, I also want to point out on the bottom right, um, that's one of our newer garden signs, but for many years we've used signage. Um, It used to say, uh, eating from the garden. And we actually had schools that when if the cherry tomatoes or the grape tomatoes they went into the the salad bar that sign went up actually on the salad bar not even in the garden it went up on the salad bar so kids knew oh that day we're eating something i grew might be radishes um now we also provide these signs where we can kind of um, people can know that they there it's a community garden we we try to Yes, we want them to know they're also working with Extension because everybody tells us we're the best-kept secret. But, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to bring people in to see what we're doing. And Leslie, I think you're the one that really talks about this well and talks about community gardens as the learning laboratory. Talk about how we do the education component. And, and I love her line, and I've started using this, put their hands in it you want to talk to us a little bit about putting your hands into the yeah so
0: putting putting their hands in it comes from words don't teach and all of us have been in situations where we've been sitting and listening and listening and words don't teach you but once you do it you get it you got to touch it so education is putting their hands in the soil and filling it um, because we don't play in soil anymore and I'm using the educated term calling it soil the dirt we don't get dirty right and we don't put our hands in it and we don't do it so so it becomes a science lab of what's going on and seeing that little seed and putting it in and if you've ever watched a child put a seed in it you know they come back often to see how it's doing It's like actually watching a pot of water boil, right? It doesn't boil while you're watching it, but when you go away, it starts doing something. And look, it's growing. Look what it's doing. So putting the hands in it and making a laboratory. And it's not just for children. You all know I have this attitude that we're all big kids, and we love to learn and do, and putting the hands in it and filling the soil. and. I wear gloves because I have nails, and I don't want to get it under my nails. So yes, I I even play in in the soil and in in the compost. I'll call Larry and say, bring me about five gallons. I'm an urban girl. I don't need a lot of compost. So yes, (laughs) just just a little bit. But putting their hands in it to make it a science lab. Plant health, plant spacing. There's rumors that kids don't know what an inch is anymore. And you say an inchworm? Have you ever seen an inchworm? And you get the inchworm? And I said, oh, I'm dating myself. Okay, it's an inch on a ruler. What's a ruler? You use a ruler to space a plant, 12 inches, you know, 24 inches. What does it look like? And, and how do you put it down and help kids do it? And even now, the little shovels, it may be 12 inches long, and you put that down to put the seed on each end and then flip it over and, and keep it moving. And showing those hands-on motions and how do they teach life skills? Those, uh, Our laboratories are life skills. What we call a science laboratory, because now we're getting schools. We are now getting the education standards. And so that's really helpful. So plant health, soil health, um, water bottles, are we recycling? right? So then then, then there's another issue there that we're helping out. um, Water bottles, even using sticks out of the schoolyard to put into that raised bed. We're helping to pick up and clean up, and who doesn't want clean, help cleaning up? So those little pieces are putting their hands in it, but it's something really big that um, we learn by doing because words don't teach, and that's really, really, really something that I really push. So yeah.
1: And I guess Tracy and Larry, because we we do see all of the, you know, the value in this. But what are you seeing? Do you see kids or adults? going home and replicating this. Can you want to tell a couple of stories maybe?
3: I'll tell two. <laughs> My first one is just a funny one about using your hands. Uh, we have an educator, uh, Tammy Culpepper, and she has several gardens. And uh, she has a daycare she does. Does everybody remember the song Red Solo Cup? Well, the, uh, the teacher of the daycare got a hold of a whole bunch of red solo cups. And when Tracy walks into the room, they don't have to tell the children anything. They line up at the front door in a straight line. Didn't have to tell them to do that. And then they grab their red Solo cup. Then they go down the ramp in front of the daycare and there's a barrel there underneath the air conditioner, has a screen on it that catches the drips of the air conditioner. Teacher takes that screen off. She doesn't have to tell those children anything. They dip their red solo cup into the barrel, and they walk over to their tomato plant and they water it. And then they wait to see if there's any red cherry tomatoes on it, and they wait until it's permission time to pick it. And uh, they pick it, take it in, wash it, and eat it. And they didn't have to say a word. They're so excited about taking their red soil cup and dipping their water and watering their plant. Of course they did the whole thing. They planted the plant, you know, they got the soil ready. You know, we have students do everything even in daycares. Uh, So that's, that's always fun to watch it when you see young kids get that excited. Now, how many kids daycare age is willing to grab a cherry tomato and pop it in their mouth, no questions asked, and, and eat it up, you know, without a battle? But they all do you know because they they grew it so uh one of my biggest things is when i was doing that climax spring school uh we had uh, six four by eight gardens and uh, we were planting the gardens and i had a girl in the fourth grade and uh when, after we planted the garden if there was any seeds left over she would ask me if she could have it i said all right no problem so I'd give her those seeds. Well, later on, after the class and we were doing produce, I had found out she actually took some pictures and showed me. She went home and told her father what she was doing in class and he built her a four by eight garden. Okay? So everything we did that day, she went home that night and did it again in her four by eight garden. So her 4x8 garden looked just like our 4x8 garden at the school. Because out of four 4x8 gardens that year, we produced, I am not exaggerating, 215-gallon Ziploc bags of leaf lettuce. Stuffed as full as you could get it. Now think about how much those bags cost at Walmart. That's about the size they are. They're about a gallon bag. Okay, so if you put a dollar value on that, that comes pretty high. And the cafeteria was starting to get tired of lettuce. <laughs> we ended up sending home two bags of lettuce to every teacher, every staff member, and every principal of that school. And they took home two, you know, and the rest went to school cafeteria. Uh, but that young lady, she was just doing this on her own. She had talked her dad into it. I lived in a rural area. You know, a lot of times we think, Kids in a rural area, they already know how to garden. Well, chances are they don't, because they probably moved to the rural area because it's a cheaper living. They probably found a house that was cheaper to rent out in the country or to purchase. And so, just because they live in the country, doesn't mean they know how to to be gardeners. And uh, so, she she did an excellent job. And like I said, she showed me pictures and. She's really excited, but we had a lot of success at that little school. Uh, So you can make a big impact with a very little project. doesn't have to be 20 raised beds. doesn't have to be 200 people participating. You can start very slow. Matter of fact, I suggest you start slow. It's better to have a handful of successful gardens than have a state full of weed patches because you went too fast and didn't get enough community involved, but uh, so there's some very rewarding things you can can see when you play with gardens and and have people in them. I
2: I actually have a similar one at an after-school club. um, They actually received a heel grant and put in some fabulous ADA raised bed gardens with irrigation and everything. It was a fabulous site. Um, There was this young lady that was at this after-school club, she was very quiet and very introverted. And um, I also taught nutrition in the public school setting, so I'd see him at the public school setting, and then I'd do gardening with him at the after-school club. Again, very quiet. She never said much. She was always sweet. She would, if I'd ask a question, she'd sometimes answer. But very quiet through the gardening. I ran into her mother at our, this was at our local community, about 10,000 population. Ran into her um, mother at the grocery store, and she told me how much her daughter was enjoying the garden classes. That she had come home, and they were growing a garden in their backyard. And I'm like, wow, you know. And I wouldn't even have known. She would have never said anything. She was that quiet. So I was very thankful that I actually ran into her mother, and that's just pretty cool. <laughs> okay,
3: one more real quick, Is yeah. I promise. Quick, quick, quick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We you know, we, the forever, yeah. <laughs> we we keep talking about kids, guys. When we're talking about these mineral tubs, if you don't know what a mineral tub is, I got a picture later. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. But they're tapered a little bit, and if you turn one upside down and put the other one on top of it and bolt them together, you have the perfect ADA height for a garden. Okay. So I was at a senior center out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and they wanted, so we put 10 of these double-stacked mineral tubs, filled them up, and the folks was there, and they started smack-talking each other while I'm building these gardens, you know, remembering back when they were kids, you know, well, you can't grow green beans better than I can, and my tomatoes are going to be better than yours, you got to remember from Missouri. i'll tell you what they did that the entire time we were building those gardens when we got done they already grabbed tape put their names on them and claimed their gardens and was already betting on who was going to have the best crop in their barrel because they were so excited about getting to garden again because where they live now, they have no garden space and there wasn't a garden at the Senior Center. So they just wanted to bring back that memory of, you know, they enjoyed it as, as you know, a younger adult and now they don't, they're not able to do that. And, and I'll tell you what, I've never seen a more competitive group as that Senior Center was and uh, fighting over who was gonna, and then, they, and then when I opened up the, my van and they saw all the seeds, I just stepped out of the way. I thought I was going to get trampled, and, uh, and but they they got it done. Yeah. Well, last year
1: you've seen a number of pictures, like the one, the second picture here with these raised beds. And this year it was really rewarding to me because we put a number of these in. We had ninety-two gardens that actually got infrastructure infusions last year. And um, we're not done yet this year, so I can't tell you how many, but we'll have a similar number. But one of the things we got was several calls this spring was, where can I get a raised bed? How could, where did you buy these? They're from Amazon. Um, You know, we have an agreement with them. But, you know, and I I do promise you we do work with adults, but these little people's faces are just adorable (laughs) to me. Um, The third picture I, I love because I, when I was thinking about the, The college students, and I saw that picture, I thought they're holding radishes is what they're holding in their hands. We're going to have college students in 10 to 15 years that like radishes, and they don't (laughs) want to raise those radishes. So, um, you know, but it's good. Here we've got the the young lady. uh, We had, uh, on the far left, we had uh, watering cans. You know, they don't have red solo cups, but they had the watering cans. But, you know, they want to get in. They want to help. Um, on the right, again, you see the little person that's, that's helping their teacher. Um, and that's what it's about. It's also this intergenerational. So we're talking not only about nutrition security and overall health, because we've got physical activity involved. We talk about economics. Um, you know, if they're learning how to garden, they may grow up and have enough that they can then go to a farmer's market and they can sell. You know, I think one of the things that we all want to talk about, and you've heard these folks talking about, is being creative. And I may not have, now that i said I had a picture of a mineral tub. A mineral tub would be a, it's bigger than the tubs you see there on the left. Um, those are the plastic ones with the, kind of like a garden tub, you can see there. Um, but you know, one of the things that we think about as we think about putting garden gardens in is, where do you put that maybe you don't have a lot of space here on the left you can start to see but one of the things that this garden had taken extra care for and you'll see another set of pictures where Larry talked about the senior center mobility if you've got folks that have limited mobility those two pictures on the left they're on a curb or right next to the sidewalk so if you've got a child or an older adult that may be using a, a wheelchair or a walker, they can get right up close to those. And that's so important, keep it on that hard surface. It doesn't have to be way back in the back of a field. Um, the, middle, the middle picture there, that it, there's one of our older signs that says eating from the garden. That actually are plastic barrels, 55 gallon plastic barrels. They've been cut in half and those were put into a wooden structure. But again, as you can see, That would be where, you know, especially as we have older adults and we we have several locations that have older adults, those are probably waist high. They don't have to bend over. Um, And so it it comes to them. We've worked with our safety specialist who has also thought about adaptive tools, ergonomic tools for older adults, um, because maybe they have arthritis. uh, They don't have a good grip. The far right side, you can you don't have to have a lot of space. That's actually um, I don't like a know, courtyard. It's a courtyard of between a school. four
2: buildings that had been like there was an original, they added on, they added on, they added on. There's this little space in the middle of all four of those buildings. Mm-hmm. Now they've got this beautiful garden set mm-hmm. up in
1: there. And they put seating in there so people can come and they can rest while they are. That's one of the things we're seeing in some of our community gardens. Don't forget about people may need a place to sit down. You know, they're working, it's hot. Right now in Missouri, we've had a number of days are in the high 90s. If you get people out there, they need a place to sit down. Uh, Is there shade? Uh, One of the things we don't put in is, we can't put in permanent structures, but we can talk to them about ways that they could possibly fund permanent structures. I talk about the picture on the left, where you see three people standing in front of those gardens. that is the, the senior center in Warsaw. Uh, we actually took our SNAP-Ed um, state contact from Department of Social Services. We took a couple of them out there to see this. This is a great facility because, as Larry said, that concrete is a parking lot. On the far side of the parking lot is the senior center. They're using produce out of those beds now in that senior center. Um, they also then would be if you went to the end. There's senior housing. That's just out of sight on, on that picture as well. But there's senior housing, senior apartments. Those seniors can also come and uh, they, they allocated a half a bed to them. And it was really interesting the day we were there because I think they have six beds in that row. They also have the tool shed. And a number of people, we have to think about this. Where do you keep those garden tools? You can't just let them sit out. So many of them have put in this. We have asked them to have um, a record. They keep a clipboard so people can say, I, I harvested 20 pounds. We put a scale there so they know exactly how much they're harvesting. Um, it's interesting, behind that shed is probably another space for probably another six beds. And while we were there that day, the residents and the seniors are like, are you going to have more funding? Can we put another six in? And the, and the director's like, well, let's slow down. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We've already spoken for these. We're going. And so they were so excited. They want to go on and start to expand. And you know, to us, that's really exciting, because it's the community that has led this. Um, yes, we go out. We teach classes there. But they're the ones that are growing this you know they were showing us they were so proud to say oh well this is my bed and this is what i'm producing i'm not sure how one gentleman got three beds but uh, <laughs> he was very excited he's also very motivated <laughs> yeah very motivated um, on the far right you can see they didn't have enough soil to finish off their um, their final bed, and I love this because they grew lettuce just in the bags. They split the bags open. They planted the lettuce. Um, they didn't have enough to put the whole, but, you know, hopefully next spring, that'll be another full bed, because you can see in the back that those beds were full. Here was a way that they could also grow their lettuce. And we've had schools that have done this. We've had schools that have bought hydroponic gardens to, for indoors, so they could go year-round. The picture in the middle, I I saved it. That was, I mentioned a group from Moberly. They had, that was the early group of partners that had about 15 people there. And I said even the historic society got involved. This is brand new this year. This is a 2023 garden. They were ones that had a lot of the, the posters as well. It's interesting, in the back of that picture, kind of toward the left, you see about three people looking around an area that's taped off. And I want to share this because sometimes you, you don't know what you're going to find. This was an empty lot. It was behind this, where this concrete was, you can see in the front. If you'd have went back a little farther, there was an old hospital on that site. And this was the grass in front of the hospital. Hospital's long gone. Um, what you can't see on the right side is another vacant lot after they started this one the the church that owns this got so excited they said can we put in seeded areas maybe we can add more gardens but then the area on the left that's taped off as they went to till up and create more gardens because this first plot sold out it was ten dollars a plot um they hit concrete and they weren't sure and the person that was doing it said, oh, I'll just come in and we'll, we'll just remove it. And they got to look, and he's like, I can't take this out. Well, what had happened was in front, they, the Historic Society then came in, because they said, what was here in this, they found the plans, there is a historic koi pond that is over five feet deep with concrete, and uh, we're talking thick concrete. And they said, this is going to take a major event to and a lot of money to remove this. Well, they sat down with their community partners, all the community partners sat down and they said, well, maybe that shouldn't be, maybe we should remain. That's a part of our community's history. So what they've now decided is they're taking and they're, they're digging out some of the dirt that was in the, what they had filled in this koi pond it's becoming a pollinator garden and they're they're going to have signage so you know this was the community it wasn't any one person because the day I was there it was very interesting to hear the committee because we had several like just rip out the concrete let's move forward and everybody else's other people are like well no we want to save the history of our community and so it was very very interesting to see the community partners coming together they're making the decisions in fact as I was putting this together, I called the extension faculty person that's been working with the community. I said, what happened? They said, oh, no, we, we left it for a pollinator garden. So, you know, to me, they can be any, gardens can be anywhere. We can be creative. Um, you know, we think this is a great way. And, you know, our state partners are now seeing this is a way, when they, when they brought the opportunity to have the community block grant, as they saw it they were also helping in ensure that we didn't have supply chain issues that there was food because many of those rural communities and urban we have some urban communities and they're food deserts and you know maybe we've got older co- people that have limited driving and they can't drive when i lived out in north missouri it was 30 minutes to a full uh, a standard grocery store i may have had a community grocery store but i had to go 30 minutes And so this is a way that we can ensure those communities can stay vibrant to ensure the health of those communities. Um, So we're pretty excited about this. Uh, We continue to see communities want to grow and expand. Um, So we're working with a lot of folks. And I want to thank our panel, but I also want to give you time. It looks like we got about five minutes if there were questions that you may have.
2: I would say um, bring several people from that school staff um, to to take care of that garden like that one garden that I mentioned earlier where I've had three administrators that, three different administrators the new administrator she doesn't garden um, and so I just met her the other day I'm like so how do you feel about gardening <laughs> and she just kind of looked at me she's like well I guess I'm gonna learn but there's also um, the librarian on staff that is helping with the garden and the custodian on staff that's helping with the garden. So just pull more people in. So that way, if you do, you know, if one moves on, then you've got somebody else in place. So. And, it, so.
3: and also, that, you know, we teach a curriculum to the kids too at the gardens, and that meets some of the standards of the school that they have to teach. So, you know, we have science teachers that are in charge of the gardens because we end up teaching the plant science part. They don't have to, but they want to be involved anyway. Um, We have school nurses that are in charge of some of the school gardens because they have a health initiative at the school, and so they're really excited about being in charge of the school gardens. Um, So we also have, uh, boy, sorry, I just lost it there for a minute. I was trying to think of, but find out, you know, the director of the cafeteria, I have a director of the cafeteria at Williams schools that's in charge of the school garden, and in return, she wants herbs and, and, and planted in the garden so they can use it in school cafeteria. And in school cafeteria, sometimes they have funding that they can help pay for some things too. So you, you find somebody, you know, maybe it is the teacher of the class that's doing it, that wants to do it, but maybe, like I said, maybe there's a school nurse or high school science teacher or FFA teacher. So find out who, who we're scratching their back because we're doing the curriculum, but who also likes doing gardening. So so you, you can draw from just look at a wide view of the school and draw different people in.
1: Yeah, I would say we actually had one uh, school food service that a summer school was going on, so you've got fewer teachers there. They paid their school staff their, their dining staff to they could have a half hour a day and it didn't have to be all of them it was one a day went out and so they got an extra half hour of pay um, some schools have done custodians have been able to to go out and maintain I was at uh, a school recently and science teacher had taken on the garden they started out it was the science club And now they've actually created a a class, and it's a junior high class, where kids can take, their science is actually being in the garden. So that's their class. And the principal told me it's now standing room only. So there was one other question. I would say right now, it's more anecdotal, and that's an area we need to be focusing on more. We focus more on increased production, amount of pounds going into communities. Um, uh, Kim Keller and I have had the discussions of, uh, is there a way to begin doing even qualitative work? You know, interviewing participants, seeing what the the impact with that that has been. there, it's still room to grow. Uh, we're still working on that, but that's been really exciting for us. So
3: yeah.
1: I want to thank you again. We went two minutes over. I apologize. We, um, but just
3: for a question there. We also supply scales. But she talked about that just a little bit. We supply scales to all the community gardens and to our educators and the way to produce. Um, so we can come up. Uh, now we, during, COVID, and and for a few years we didn't weigh, uh, but our last year that we weighed I believe it was 56,000 pounds of produce came out of our gardens in the state of Missouri. Like I said, it went from everywhere from school cafeterias to food banks and home to clients.
1: And I will tell you, I think one of the things, when you do weigh the produce, and sometimes that's, an administrator, a policymaker can understand pounds of tomatoes or pounds of radishes, but when you put a retail value, we took and we did a retail value, and then that really gets their attention. The, oh, that is a lot of money, you know, so that's huge for us. So, yeah. So,